This is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations, and you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Well, good morning. How are you doing? Some of you are doing good. Okay, that's, that's good. Well, thank you to those who answer. That's always good for a preacher to get some response. It's a, it's a pretty good start. Okay, so there was a time in the history of Jubilee Church where I would refer to Acts chapter 2 on almost a weekly basis. And if you've been around Jubilee for any length of time, you'll think, you know what, you did. And some would say that uh, I couldn't preach from any other passage. Those who are particularly vindictive would say I couldn't preach from that passage either, but that's a whole other discussion. And, um, you know, if, if I hadn't referred to it for a few weeks in a row, people would be sitting there thinking, know what's coming this week, know what he's going to talk about now, find it early in the, in the meetings, you know where he's going. And uh, I realised just recently that I hadn't referred to it for quite a while. In fact, shockingly, I cannot recall offhand the last time I preached from this, which is awful. Well, it feels to me like it's awful because there's a passage of Scripture that is so foundational to us as a church, and God has spoken to us so clearly from it before, that as I was praying, I felt, you know what, we need to look at it again. Because I feel that God has got some new things for us from this passage. So if you'd like to turn in your Bibles, or click, or scroll to Acts chapter 2, we're going to read a few verses together, and then we're going to pray, and uh, then we're going to look at them for the, uh, the time that we have this morning. So Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we'll start at. In fact, you know what? Some of you should know this off by heart. <laughs> We've looked at it so often. Some of you are thinking, yeah, I know this passage. <laughs> okay, here we go. Acts two forty-two. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Okay, let's pray, shall we? Lord Jesus, we pray now that you would speak to us from your words. Lord, many of us have heard this passage read countless times. We've looked at it many times. We've studied it. We've prayed over it. We've considered it. And you've spoken to us, Lord. You've spoken to us clearly about the sort of church that you want Jubilee to be. And Lord, as we spend a while this morning considering these verses together. I ask you, Lord, would you speak to us again? Lord, would you breathe fresh life onto these verses? Would you breathe upon them? Holy Spirit, would you apply them to our lives and to this, your church? 
Lord God, that you might be glorified amongst us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so Acts chapter 2 here then gives us a snapshot of the early church. It's not a long description. It's not an instruction manual per se that we have before us. It's more like a photograph. It takes an image. It's a snapshot of what life was like and what was going on there for the early church. Now, we know from other parts of the New Testament that the early church was not perfect. They didn't get everything right. You can read through some of the New Testament letters and the situations that the apostles were addressing. You think, boy, they got some things really wrong. But right here in these few verses at the end of Acts chapter 2, we get a snapshot of the early church perhaps at its best. Certainly at one of its best moments. It's reassuring, isn't it? Because Jubilee isn't perfect. It never has been, and it never will be. And um, some of you are going, oh. But it's true, and the reason it won't be perfect is that you and I are part of it, frankly. Any church that I'm part of won't be perfect, because I'm not perfect, and to be honest, none of us are. So if you're looking for the perfect church, let me encourage you now to give up on that search, <laughs> and to look for the church that God wants you to be part of, and to throw your lot in there. But, you know, that's not an excuse for laziness. It's not an excuse for saying, well, they didn't get everything right, so it doesn't matter if we don't. But rather, it should spur us on to say to the Lord, what is it that you have for us? What do you want us to be focusing on? What have you got for us in this season right now? And ask God those questions, and as he answers them, to be obedient to him. And I want to be encouraging us this morning to make Jubilee the best church we can. Now, we know actually, theologically speaking, this is true, it's Jesus is the one who's building his church. Amen? So, A, it's his church, and secondly, B, he's the one that is building it. But it's our job to give him something great to work with. The New Testament elsewhere describes us as like living stones that God fashions together to make this glorious building his church. And so my encouragement to us this morning is is to say, well, let's give God some great living stones that he can work with and build his church. And so we can either help or we can hinder the process of Jesus building his church. And I would trust this morning that we want to help him and to give him something great to work with. So in these few verses that we've got here in Acts chapter 2, we get this snapshot, we get this glimpse of what it was like to be part of this baby church, what it was like to be part of this growing community. And as we spend a few weeks in this growing in series, we've looked at a number of things, we've got a number still to look at, just in these few weeks as we remind ourselves of the vision that God has spoken to us about, I want to bring us back to this passage and say, Friends, let's build a church like this. Let's make Jubilee like this. Where we can read Acts chapter 2 and go, that was great for them. But do you know what? It looks pretty much like what God is doing now as well. Wouldn't that be good? Wouldn't that be good if we could read this passage and go, you know what? This describes what God's doing amongst us. We haven't got everything perfect either. 
But we're trying to give God something great to work with in order that Jesus can build his church. And these few verses, well, they're a pretty good description of what God is doing here. Wouldn't that be good? Do you want to be part of a church like that? I want to be part of a church like that. And I trust this morning that God is going to speak to us and help us as we pursue these things. And so we need to keep this picture before us, not to hold over us and to beat us up when we're not doing so great with it. It's not a stick, but rather it's a picture that we can look at and go, let's be like that. Let's go for that. Let's build a church like that. Let's be an Acts 2 church, where these things that we read of that describe the early church, describe us as well. And we're going to look at those this morning. So these verses give us something to aim for, to aspire for, to aspire to, and to go for. And I want to encourage us this morning to let's seek to live out biblical New Testament Christianity in the 21st century. Right now, right here, right in this city, in this nation, and indeed other places that God calls us to. And so there are six things that I want us to consider from these few verses. We'll look at a couple of them this week, and we'll look at the rest of them uh, next week. So we're not going to spend long on each one, but these are the, one, the things that I feel God would highlight to us from this passage that he wants us to be aware of. So what I want to do is to paint a picture for you this morning. I want to paint a picture of what it was like to be part of the early church that we read about in Acts chapter 2. And I want to paint a picture of what it will be like, increasingly I trust, to be part of Jubilee and what God is doing amongst us here. So these six things are these. Devotion, community, care, atmosphere, worship and growth. Okay? Devotion. Community, care, not community care. They're two separate things. That's different. Atmosphere, worship, and growth. We'll look at a couple this week and the remainder next Sunday. So firstly then, if you've got your Bible still open, do have a look at it. Uh, In verse 42, we're told that they devoted themselves. We get that word devoted in, in verse 42 there. So we see that the church here in Acts 2 was a devoted church. Clearly for them, church was not an optional extra that was added on to the rest of life. It was not just an interest or another hobby that they may have put on the like page of their Facebook profile. This was not an extra to everything else. Rather, church for them, the community of believers worshipping God together and following him was very central to who they were. They were devoted. That's the word the New Testament uses to describe these early Christians. And it's quite a strong word. Devoted implies quite a strong commitment to, doesn't it? If you had to pick a word to describe most Christians you know, would you choose the word devoted? Or to make it more personal, if you had to pick a word to describe you in your Christian faith, would you choose the word devoted? Would I choose the word devoted? It's quite a strong challenge here to us. Now, helpfully, Luke describes for us what the early church were devoted to. And we read that they were devoted 
to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. There are these four things that they're devoted to here. And I, I would guess there were other things they were devoted to as well. But these are the four things that are recorded for us in this passage. So firstly then, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Now, if you as a teacher, I know one or two of you are teachers or work in that profession, if you had to describe a pupil of yours as devoted, they would probably be one of your star pupils, wouldn't they? Even if they didn't achieve A-star grades all the way through every subject, if, we're, if they were devoted in their learning, I presume they would be the sort of pupil that you would like. Would you agree? I'm looking at you teacher types with some nods there. And you're affirming it, which is good. Thank you. It would mean they would want to learn. They would study hard. They would read the homework text that was set for them. They, they would be devoted to your teaching. Some of you teacher types are just thinking, wow, can you just imagine a class of pupils devoted to my teaching? You're, you're sort of sitting there in dream world. Well, we'll come back. <laughs> come back. <laughs> Maybe it'll happen one day. But the early church here were devoted, we're told, to the apostles' teaching. That's how it describes. And no doubt that would not just be information about God but also a revelation of God and who he is and what that meant for their lives. They, have been, they would have been teaching the sort of things that Jesus taught, teaching about the kingdom of God, teaching about the good news of the gospel, teaching about how to live as somebody who follows Jesus, what that would look like, what it would mean in your life. And remember that these apostles were those who had been with Jesus. They'd been with him, hadn't they? They had walked with him. They were teaching what Jesus had taught. And they had been with him. They were introducing others to someone that they knew. And clearly the early church were hungry to know more of this Jesus hungry to receive more teaching, hungry to understand more. We're so privileged now, folks. We've got a written record. They didn't have that in the same way then. Yes, they had the Old Testament scriptures, but they didn't have the New Testament at this stage. But they were teaching and they were talking about the Jesus they knew. So for those of us who teach in any context... Are you introducing people to someone that you know? Someone that you have a relationship with? Because people don't just want information. They want to see Jesus in you. They want you to introduce them to somebody that you know. And that's what the early church were doing. And that's the challenge for those of us who teach, that we introduce people to somebody that we know. And we're told that they were devoted to this. They were devoted. So I guess the challenge for all of us is to receive teaching. Are we devoted in that? Are we devoted at learning more about our Lord? Are we devoted in terms of the way we're learning about what he's said to us, what he's spoken? Are we devoted in reading our Bible and learning more from that? 
There's a challenge to us here for each one of us this morning. Are we devoted to these things? But as well as being devoted to the apostles' teaching, it also says they were devoted to the fellowship. They were devoted to fellowship. They were devoted to one another, effectively. And it's the same strong word that is used here. They were devoted to the fellowship, to one another. So clearly they heard great teaching. And then, for the most part, we would hope, put it into practice. They were devoted to one another. So it wasn't that they were just part of the same crowd. And we know from Scripture that it would have been quite a large crowd they would have been part of. But they weren't just part of a a large crowd turning up at the same place at the same time to hear some great teaching. But rather they were devoted to one another. It wasn't even that they were just devoted to a meeting. They were devoted to people. They were devoted to one another. So what sort of thing does that mean? Well, if you look up the phrase one another, then we get that used a number of times in the New Testament. We see that the early church is encouraged to love one another, to encourage one another, not to slander one another, not to grumble against one another, but to greet one another, to offer hospitality to one another, to be compassionate and humble towards one another. And so the list goes on. All these things are part of being devoted to one another. So, the question comes, how are we doing on that? How devoted are you and I to one another? There's a challenge here, isn't there? If we had more time, which we don't, we could look at some other passages together about what it meant to be devoted to one another. Just over the page in Acts chapter 4, we get some examples of what it meant where we're told there were no needy persons among them because from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. This is devotion in action, friends. They were devoted to the Lord. They were devoted to one another. But it goes on. We're told back in Acts 2 here, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread. They were devoted to the breaking of bread. Now, if you look at the commentaries on this verse, you'll see that most commentaries uh, are in, in either one camp or the other. Some commentators will argue that by this phrase, the breaking of bread, what is meant is the Lord's Supper. So bread and wine, remembering uh, what Jesus did on the cross, that communion meal. And some commentators argue this is what they were devoted to. Other commentators say, no, actually all it means is they were, devoting, uh, they were devoted to breaking bread, to having food together, to having meals together, to, to sharing food with one another. That's what they were devoted to. Personally, do you know what I think? I think they were devoted to both. I actually think they were devoted to both of these things. They were devoted to remembering what Jesus had done on the cross, his death and his resurrection. And they were also devoted to having food with one another, sharing food, sharing life with one another. Now, with regards to sharing bread and wine, the communion meal together if i'm honest i don't think that's our strongest suit and i think it's true of most churches i know 
There aren't many churches I know that are really devoted to that. I was talking to a friend of mine uh, just this week, actually, who's doing uh, some advanced theological training. And uh, he was just written a paper on the theology and practice of the Lord's Supper. And we were talking about this, and he's going to be sharing it at a team meeting that uh, I'm part of in a few weeks' time. And I was saying to him, Al, I'm looking forward to hearing what you've got to say about this and to be, to be challenged on it and to, to hear what God has got for us, because I think we could probably do better at being devoted to that. Now, I also happen to think probably the best way of sharing the Lord's Supper together, bread and wine, is probably in a small group context. It just works better like that, I think. It's less religious, if you know what I mean. <laughs> and uh, we get a chance to pray and to thank God uh, for sending Jesus and the fact he died and rose again. But we also see that they ate together regularly in one another's homes. We'll come back to that in a moment. I think they were devoted to both things both to remembering Jesus' death and resurrection and also devoted to just sharing life and sharing food with one another. But to go back to the verse, we also see they were devoted to prayer. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. I've observed over time that great churches, those who are thriving, growing, seeing fantastic breakthrough, are often those who are devoted to prayer. That's what I've seen. In different contexts, different ways of expressing it, but they're devoted to prayer. That's certainly true of the early church here in Acts chapter 2, and it's true of a whole number of other churches that I can think of who are advancing greatly. They are devoted to prayer. Corrie Ten Boom wrote this. She said, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? It's a good question, isn't it? Is it in case of emergency, <laughs> you get out the spare tire from the boot and, and uh, pop it on the car? Or is prayer your steering wheel where that decides where you go because you're in that relationship with God? John Wesley said, God does nothing except in response to believing prayer. Believing prayer. Faith-filled prayer. Where we come to God and ask him for things. God calls us to pray. And in doing so, what he's really calling us to is a relationship. He's calling us to a relationship with himself. Jesus spent time teaching his disciples how to pray. He told them how to pray. He taught it. He modelled it. It was important to him and it was therefore important to them as well. So we read about the early church praying. You can read through the book of Acts and look at a number of occasions where the church gathered to pray and God acts. Friends, should that surprise us? No. The church prays and God acts. That's what we read about here, and that's what I believe God wants to do once again, because it's still the case today. As we pray, God acts. As we're faithful in praying, God moves. God loves to act. He loves to answer our prayers. We don't need to somehow persuade him or try and twist his arm. Actually, what we need to be doing is saying, Lord, show me what's on your heart, so I can pray into that. So we're not trying to persuade God to do our will, 
but rather we're seeing what is his will and asking him about those things. We, uh, we gathered to pray this week as a church. We had a great time worshipping God, praying for one another, praying for Jubilee, praying for situations in the world. It's fantastic. And I want to encourage you, when we gather to pray, please do come. Please make that a priority. Please try and be there if you can, because it's in that context that very often God speaks to us. Time and again, God speaks to us as we pray. I can think of a number of prayer meetings that we have had over the years where God has spoken to us significant words. As we've been in a time where we've had an extended time to worship, to pray, to hear from God. And you know what? God speaks. And as we pray, he acts. So the early church were devoted then to prayer. So we read about them being devoted here in, uh, in verse 42. But we also read about community. Now, I've taken this out of order, deliberately so, and you'll see why in a little while. But they were devoted to the things we've read about here. But also, as we read through this passage, we read about the sort of community that existed, the sort of community that they were part of. Luke tells us that they met together daily. They met together in the temple courts and in homes. And they shared meals together. And they're different types of meetings, aren't they? They're different size meetings to start with. They're also for different purposes, and we'll see that just in a moment. So the temple courts was a large space. Many people could gather there. You could get a large crowd into that area. We read in verse 41 about 3,000 people being saved. So you can get an idea this was a fairly large-sized gathering. Even if there were a few people away or on holiday or out sick, we're still talking about a large number of people here as they gathered in the temple courts. This was not a small, insignificant little group. This was a church of thousands. And it was a growing and advancing church of thousands. And as they gathered in that large context, the apostles would have taught them They would have been teaching them about God's word. They would have been teaching them how to live as a disciple of Jesus, how to live as a Christian, what that would mean in everyday life. They would have taught them how to pray. They would have taught them about the kingdom of God. They would have taught them about the things that we've been looking at already. That would have happened as they gathered in this large group context. And others would have looked in. Others would have looked in and wondered we're actually told that, that others looked in and there was a sense of awe. Like, Whoa, what's God doing here? This was a large, visible and public gathering. But as well as that, they also gathered in homes. They gathered in a smaller context as well. They ate together regularly. Now, Near Eastern homes may have been, had some spaces that were slightly larger than your average British semi. I realise that. But it still would have been a smaller context than certainly the church of thousands gathering in the temple courts. And that's where they would have eaten together. That's where they would have built relationships together. That's where they would have been discipleship of one another. That's where they would have been care for one another because those relationships and friendships would have been growing over time as they met together in one another's homes. 
So large meetings are great. We're not somehow rubbishing large meetings here. What we're saying is they're different. They have different purposes for them and different benefits. So I love large meetings. I love worshipping with a whole bunch of other people. They can be exciting and vibrant. You get a sense of the presence of God and there's an opportunity to receive great teaching. I love being in those sort of settings. They're wonderful. But it's not the whole experience of being a Christian. It's not the whole experience of gathering together with other Christians. Because there are things you can't do in that context. You can't know everybody. You can't be uh, discipling one another in that context. You can't be sharing personal prayer needs for everybody. There's not the time. There's not the, uh, it's not appropriate. You, you just can't do it. You've been there all day, all week. You have to do those sort of things in a smaller context. And as the church gathered in a smaller context in people's homes, there is relationship, friendship, discipleship, accountability, there was growing in God, there was praying for another, there was meeting one another's needs. How do you think they did that? Well, they would have done it because needs came up. They would have known about one another's needs. They would have been shared. It was sharing life, living life together. What's going on? They're building community. They're building community. And God has designed us to live in community. And perhaps it's something that our society has largely lost in recent years. But people still yearn for it. And do you know what? There is one organisation, for a better word, that is great at this and can model this and can show this to people. And what's that? It's the church. It's the church. And so as people come into us, as people come into the church, they can see, oh, I can see they love one another. I can see there's a care for one another. What did Jesus say? How will people recognize that we're his disciples? By the fact that we love one another. That's not just ticking the box on a survey saying, yes, I love one another. (laughs) It's practically demonstrating that. And that's what was going on here in Acts chapter 2. And increasing our trust, that's what is going on with us as we seek to be a community that care for one another. So this, this community did a number of things. They cared, they discipled, they served, they ate, they reached out. All these things happened as they gathered together. And they were being obedient to Jesus by doing so. They worked out what it meant to live out their newfound faith in everyday life. And even the sheer fact of being in that sort of relationship, that sort of community life, is a discipleship tool that Jesus uses. The American pastor and writer Tim Keller says this. He says, there is no way you'll be able to grow spiritually apart from a deep involvement in a community of other believers. That is a good quote. There is no way you'll be able to grow spiritually apart from a deep involvement in a community of other believers. Friends, that quote should challenge each of us. It certainly challenges me. So do you want to grow in God? You want to grow in God? I'm trusting our answer is a a large yes to that question. So part of the way that will happen, not the only way, but part of the way that will happen is through your involvement in the community of believers. 
And I don't think Keller has in mind just a Sunday morning meeting. But rather, what does he say? A deep involvement. That's more than just being in the same room together, isn't it? A deep involvement in a community of other believers. It's about sharing life together. It's about living life with one another and discipling one another as we go. So in, a, in community, they cared for one another. In community, they shared life together. In community, they met one another's needs. And so for us here in Jubilee, our larger meeting is Sunday morning. That's this. That's when we gather together. It's the context we have where we can worship, we can receive teaching, and a sense of God's presence as we gather. He speaks to us. That's, that's our larger meeting context. Our smaller meetings are small groups we call life groups. They happen during the week, but it's not so much a meeting that happens during the week, but rather a community that live life together during the week. That's what God calls us to be part of. And so I want to encourage you, if you haven't managed to get stuck into a life group yet, maybe today is your opportunity to do that. Get connected. Get plugged in. If you're just looking in, thinking, I wonder if Jubilee's the place for me, listen, I want to encourage you and urge you and invite you to get connected to a small group. We'll talk more about those in a little while. In order that together we can grow in community. Together we can see what God is doing amongst us. We read that they also ate together. Now, this is probably my favorite part. I like that. I like eating with other people. I like eating at any point, to be fair. But they ate together. Let's think about it for a moment. If you have friends over to your home, what do you do? Often you would eat with them, wouldn't you? What did Jesus do with the disciples all the time, it seems? He ate with them. He shared food with them. I think in that culture and in ours, something happens as you share food with people. Barriers are broken down. Relationships are formed. Friendships are made over food. That was true then, and it's certainly true now. They ate together. And I want to encourage us to eat together whenever we get the opportunity. Community happens around foods. It did then, and it does now. I don't have anything else that builds community quite like it. And I've said before, it doesn't mean, please hear this right, it doesn't mean you have to go out and provide a gourmet meal on every occasion. You know, seven courses and, uh, you know, all the place settings and the best china and even napkins. You know, it's posh if you get napkins, don't you? We have napkins. I'm not sure where they are. But we, we do have them somewhere. <laughs> really, really are they used. It's not about putting on a gourmet feast. It's about sharing foods and sharing life and building community. And you can do that just as easily over tuna and pasta. My speciality, slightly burnt on the top, if you like it. As well as you can over a gourmet seven-course meal. I'm not saying never cook that, because some of you enjoy doing that. And it blesses you to do it. And it's fun, and that's great. But don't feel the pressure of that. Rather just have an extra place or two at your table and invite people over. Let's be sharing food 
with one another. Let's build relationships and friendships as we do that. So I want to encourage you in life groups, take every opportunity you can to eat together whenever you're able to. Now I know the challenges of doing that are hard sometimes. I'm not saying you've got to do it every week. I'm just saying whenever you get the opportunity, eat together because that will be good for you. In serving teams maybe, eat together. In friendships groups, eat together. As we do so, let's build community. Amen? So next week, we're going to look at care, look at atmosphere, worship, and growth. And with a bit of luck, we'll get through all four of them in one go. We shall see. Some of you cynics are thinking you stand no chance, which is probably true. But before we finish, let me ask a question. What about us? So we have described, we have looked at, we have talked about what the, some of the things that the early church did. So what about us? When we describe Jubilee as wanting to be a church where we love God, love one another, love those who don't know Jesus yet, serve our city and reach nations, where are we getting that from? We're getting it right from here. We're getting it right from here. And that's the sort of church that we want to be. And I believe that this is God's blueprint for his church. And this morning I want to encourage you, I want to invite you to join with me, to join with us, and say, let's build a church like this. Let's build a church like this that advances like they did, that sees lives and whole cities transformed because the kingdom of God advanced. Let's go for that. It's an invitation to a journey because these things are a journey. And I know that there will be bumps in the road. I know there will be things that come at us. But I also know it's the journey that God has called us to be part of. I want to encourage you and invite you this morning to be part of that as well. Now I know for many of you, you'll be sitting there thinking, I am part of that. I love being part of that. And that's great. And I want to encourage you if that's you this morning. Some of you will be thinking, I've heard you talk about that before. And I still want to be part of that. And we haven't seen everything we've dreamt of yet. And we're still going for that and saying, God, would you do it? And if you're sitting there thinking, oh, why do you want to still be part of that? Then that is great. Others of you are thinking, well, I'm just looking in. I'm wondering. Then the invitation to you this morning is, come and join us. Come be part of that. Come be part of God, what God might do. We want to build a great church for for him. Or we want to allow Jesus to use us (laughs) to build a great church. Where we see men and women reach for the gospel, saved and added into the kingdom of God. Where people are pastored, discipled and sent out on mission for Jesus. In order that we might make him famous. And Jesus might build his church. Amen? Amen. Can we stand together? And I'm going to close as we finish this part of our meeting. We're not through quite yet. But I'm going to pray as I finish this part. They were devoted 
to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together, had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to one another as they had needs. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Lord Jesus, we read those few verses and we say, we want to be part of a church like that. Lord, we want to be part of a church like that, that loves you in that way. And we pray, Lord Jesus, would you help us to make Jubilee a church like that? Lord, we commit ourselves again this morning to be part of it, to be part of what you are doing, what you are building. Thank you, Jesus, that you are building your church. This is your church. It's not ours. It's yours, Lord. And thank you that you are building it. And Lord, we want to give you something great to work with. We want to give you some great living stones that you can use and fashion and build together in order that we might see your church built and your kingdom advanced. Lord, we want to see that in our city. We want to see that in the places you've called us to. We want to see that in our nation and the nations. Lord Jesus, would you use us to be part of it in order that you might be glorified. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Do take your seats. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk or come along on any Sunday morning.